Well, hi everybody, it's the Week in the Tackle podcast, the podcast where we look back at the previous week in the world of soccer and or football, delete as appropriate, and tackle the topics that we thought were interesting. I'm Tom Rennie of Sirius XMFC and Talk Sport uh, fame, and alongside me uh, is Apple TV, uh, TNT, Sirius XM, ESPN, ABC, LMNOP, all of that, expert on all things football. It's Brian Dunning Dunseth. How are you, mate? You're right. Randy, I'm fantastic. I think I had a better weekend than you. And at the same time, I think I had a worse weekend than you, but just fresh off the plane back from Seattle, got to watch Luca's Halloween presentation today. And I'm here with you two knuckleheads. So f off, Tim Horsey. Sorry, Tim. You lot, honestly, and by that I mean Americans, uh, you love Halloween, don't you? You just love it so much. I still, after all these years, I don't get it. I don't understand it. I sent my daughter to school today or nursery today uh, dressed like a spider. Uh, Why? Why? Why are we doing this? And then like kids tonight, kids tonight are going to knock on my house and want sweets. Uh, or candy, uh, as you would wrongly put it. Um, and No, no, this is not America. America does its own thing. And if grown adults want to dress like the Incredible Hulk and get uh, a, a, a Reese's Pieces... There you that's... go, the best candy ever. I was waiting for you to say it. So I'm told. I, I always no. say Mars Bar there, but people don't no. get that reference. No. Um, but that's fine. You want to do it, but do it. Move to America first. Otherwise, yeah. don't knock on my house in Essex and do it, you know? So I have an idea. I have an idea for you. You ready? Hit me. Uh, so I, I need you to paint the picture. What does the front yard look like Be, from your front door? Do you have like a, a proper garage on your property? Oh no, no. I live in uh, I live in uh, near the city. We don't have that sort of thing. I've so got you a, park I've on got the street. Dri- so I've no. I've got a double driveway. I don't have a, yeah. like a garage, as you say yeah. properly. Uh, yeah. So I've got a double driveway, an alleyway next to my house, and front yeah. door on the right of the house. It's a kind of end uh, terrace property. Do you have like a wall that's accessible through the 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 driveway? Wall. Well, the reason why, I have an idea. So I pulled mm-hmm. this off the other day. And for a curmudgeity old fart like yourself, this is the perfect way to a circumvent. A curmudgeity old fart. Curmudgeity? Yeah, it's, listen, everybody knows. Do you mean curmudgeonly? Curmudgeon- no, no, I call you curmudgeonly an old fart. Okay. Just just go with it for a okay, second. Just go with it. F*** off, man. Sorry, Tim. Um, listen, the, here's the idea. This is what I do. I'm not home for Halloween. I'm out with the kids in the neighborhood. Yeah, Tim just wrote, God damn it, dude. I don't have to say sorry, Tim, on that one. Um, so this is what I do. I go out with the kids, but I preemptively strike people coming to my front door because I'm not home. So right. what I do is we have a, a, a garage. Obviously, when you drive in in the United States, we have a garage. In my garage, I literally tape pieces of candy to my garage. I have a sign that says, please take only, please take one. Mm. Sounds and like I, the home of a sexual predator. I'll be honest with you. And what I'll do is I'll tape the candy across the front of my garage door. So then that way, kids can still get candy, still have the experience yeah. in the neighborhood. Mm. I'm not there. And you're not knocking on my door. I'm not having to get up every 30 seconds off my couch. And I'm out with my kids. So they get the experience. I get the experience. There's no paint. Horsey, there's no paint on my garage door. It's a metal door. So you tape it on, you tape it off, you peel the tape back off the next day. Everything's great. So it's just, I'll, I'll take a picture tonight. Okay. I'll send it to you. And it'll be, just be candy taped on my garage door with a please take one. And then that way, we all win. I think that was a plot point in the film Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. 
uh, where there's the child catcher uh, and they try to draw children in with candy and then you know, caught the kids. Um, I feel like uh, if if my daughter's like, oh, can I approach this house with all the candy stuck to the wall? No, yeah. that's the f***ing plot of Hansel and Gretel. You're going to get eaten. Sorry, Tim. More uh, for me. Doesn't make Listen, sense. Listen, what's worst case scenario? I come home, the candy's still on the garage door. Yeah, I've still got candy for weeks. That's true. Don't go to old man Dunsay's house. He tapes candy to the wall to trap the local children. Um, Hello, little boy. I want to get to some football talk today. I do want to talk a bit about Manchester Derby because I think the histrionic well, reaction to it has been a bit strong, but I'd love your view on it. Um, yeah. I do want to talk about the Ballon d'Or because I do not understand the point of the entire thing because the way it's been sold to me by all these people who take it seriously is clearly not the case considering they've given it to someone who is not the best player of the last year because it's the last chance they get to do it, which is odd. Uh, and I, I would like to talk about Saudi Arabia too. I don't know if we're going to have the time for all of that, but there's loads to get through. Before that though, just a brief anecdote of why I wasn't at West Ham Everton this weekend and why, in the end, I was quite happy about it. Um, I had my ticket to West Ham Everton. I spent the weekend, or the week to, uh, and the start of the weekend on the Isle of Wight, a nice little island off the south coast of the UK. And on sun, it's rained so much here. But we, we, is it Storm Babette or Storm Calvin or something like that? Why, why are they giving these names? It should be Storm Power and Storm Ruin Your Weekend and Storm Wet. Uh, but anyway, it rained so much on the Isle of Wight, and there was floods everywhere. So uh, a Ford Cougar is not a 4x4. This I learned in a giant puddle slash street pond. Uh, driving towards it, and my splash shields came off the underside of my car, which you can't refasten without lifting the car up. Anyway, I had to drive off the Isle of Wight on Sunday morning in the rain with the front of my car duct taped to the bottom of it to try and get off onto a ferry safely with some incredibly rude ferry staff, I've got to say. If you ever get the ferry to the Isle of Wight, if you get White Link, they are f***ing pricks. Sorry, Tim. Um, all of them got into Portsmouth and uh, got to a little quick-fit garage just outside Fratton Park, the home of Portsmouth FC, and had my car repaired, but it took till like 2 o'clock or 3 o'clock in the afternoon for it to be done, and so I spent the entire day hanging around the Cascade Shopping Centre in Portsmouth, waiting for my car to be fixed, missed the West Ham game, and when you sent me, Skamaka! On a text, uh, I knew we were losing. <laughs> and having then watched the final 10 minutes of it on a sky glass screen in the centre of the Cascade Shopping Centre, I thought, you know what? Hmm. This day was better than it would have been if I got home and went to see the game. So uh, thank you, West Ham. Thank yeah. you very, very much for making my diabolical day in the Cascade Shopping Centre uh, and in a quick-fit garage in Portsmouth feel better than it actually was. I appreciate but it. But by the way, is it a Cougar, a Ford Cougar, or a Ford Cougar? Because I looked it up while we were talking on yes. carandclassic.com, and it's uh, K-U-G-A. That's Ford the one, yeah, Cougar. that's it. Okay, so here's the craziest part. And for all of us Americans that are so used to the Americana car trade, mm. I guess, um, this is unlike any car I've ever seen. Oh, really? And you, yeah, you guys do this thing where all of a sudden in England and Europe, it's a brand of car that we are all very familiar with. And yet I don't, I, Tim, tell me if I'm wrong. Like, I don't even know what I would equate this car to in the Ford family. It's, I, I mean, it's a mini SUV. It's not like a four by four SUV. Yes. It's, it, but it's sort of sold to you as like rugged, a rugged version of like, so there was the Ford Escort, then it became yeah. the Ford Focus and it became the Ford Cougar development of the, the European saloon cars. Um, but it's sold to you as it can take terrain. It can't. 
It can't take terrain. Nothing with plastic on the underside can take terrain. I, no. I, I know. I know what to equate it to. It's like a, a Subaru Forester. Like, that's the closest equivalent, except Subaru Forester, like, Subarus are all four-wheel drive. Like, those are the closest. I mean, it would be like a hybrid, maybe between, like, a RAV4 for Americana and a Forester. Mm. I would say mash them up. Um, that's kind of what they would be. So just to give a give a visual picture for kind of what you were dealing with, because I agree with you, when it's sold sold to you, if you're going to hit a splash puddle, you don't expect no. the underside, and I'll call it fender, like the, the undercover of the car, to try to keep it as dry, the engine and the, the chassis as dry as possible. But that's one of those that's got to be so frustrating because the moment that they put it up on the lift, they probably go beep, beep. Oh, when it finally okay, got you're seen, good. There you go. And, and thank you very much to the guys at Quick Fit Portsmouth for squeezing us in. But if, if, when it finally got done, it was like 10 minutes. But it <laughs> just, they just couldn't find the time to do it across the day. Anyway, there yeah. you go. Um, Manchester Derby, let's talk about that. City won Pass. it 3 0. Danny. Pass. Okay, uh, Saudi <laughs> Arabia, pass? your thoughts on Saudi? No, I mean, let's I mean, let's do a couple of minutes on it. I mean, there's a couple of stories in the weekend that I think are interesting. And it's not so much the fact Man City won, because look, Man the City Glazers won in Europe. The Glazers! Um, and I very much enjoyed uh, Old Trafford is falling down, which was great. Uh, top banter. But and that is actually literally and figuratively true. But I mean, my question to you, Danny, and mm. I don't want to do too much on this because we do a lot of Man United and I think they get more attention than they, they deserve. It's really, worth on it on podcast. days like this, though. It's but, worth yeah. it on days like this. I'm not, I'm but, not afraid of this conversation. Let's have it. But. I mean, my question to you is, what have you made, not necessarily to the performance, I mean, we might get on that, yeah. but the kind of reaction to it? Because right now, you've got the European champions and Man City are like, provably better than every other team in European football, certainly the Premier League. You've got an Arsenal team and a Liverpool team that have invested well and are kind of improving. And Tottenham yep. had this great burst at the start of the season, but statistically the easiest start of anyone in the Premier League by quite don't a big tell distance. Them that. Yeah, don't, don't tell, tell them, that. them that. You know, all that sort of stuff. Like Man United, it's not been great, but they were never going to beat Manchester City. So why mm. do you think there has been a fallout to such a degree that we get to Tuesday afternoon and still it's the first talking point on podcasts yeah. like this and radio stations and the back pages of all today's papers. Yeah, I, I would start with number one last year because of, I think, the controlled con ascent after the start of the season that heading into this year with the money spent, there was still expectation and the expectation has been far from being matched. Um, there's obviously a bunch of issues behind the scenes that have come to the forefront with individual players that creates kind of a whose fault is it? There's the constant swarm of a conversation around the Glazers and uh, uh, the full takeover versus the investment. Um, this the continued narrative that every time Manchester United plays poorly, this is the Glazers' fault. This is Woodward's fault. Um, now we are just talking about football. I I think at some point we just have to separate the conversations, and I can understand and I can get this the narrative of. Hey, hold on a second. The Glazers did provide the amount of money made available for Manchester United to go out to purchase extraordinarily expensive players. But I also understand that, well, do we have a head of recruitment? Do you have a sporting director? Do you have somebody inside behind the scenes that is arcing the creativity of what the roster needs to look like? Because we've have now had multiple managers who have been fired that have come out publicly and said, this was the laundry list of players that I wanted. These were the players that were first and foremost on my list. And effectively, we're being told that 
number four, number five, number six are the players that were essentially bought. For Eric Ten Hag, he's been backed. For Eric Ten Hag, the amount of players that he has personally chosen that he has had previous or has seen up close and personal, albeit a lesser league, he's co-signed these players. He's also seen the club go out and spend extraordinary amounts of money on Rafael Varane, on Casemiro, on Mason Mount, et cetera, et cetera. And now we're to the stage where havoc, innuendos, reputations, results, all of those things are still important and serious talking points. But again, I, I, let's just go tactics. Let's just go shape. Let's just go identity. And what we saw from the opening interview after the starting 11s come out, there's not a fucking fan in the world, sorry, Tim, that believes that Eric Ten Hogg's quote when asked, why would you start Johnny Evans? And listen, Johnny Evans has been an incredible servant for the club in the past. He's been an incredible center back in the Premier League. He's been super, he's super solid, super, super solid. You may not get a 10, but you're certainly not going to get a two. You're always going to get a six, seven, and eight. He's a good pro. But all of a sudden, you're starting Harry Maguire and you're starting. Uh, uh, <laughs> Finish it. Go on. You're on a good train here. Go on. Yeah. You're starting Johnny Evans. You've got Lindelof at left back. You got Serge Regalon. You've got Varane on the bench. You're obviously without Luke Shaw. You're obviously out without Malasia. You're obviously without Juan Bissaka. Injuries and conversations do play a part. That is, that is a, a, a realistic nuance to the conversation. But when you're asked why you've left Rafael Varane on the bench for Johnny Evans and or Harry Maguire, and you say tactics, hmm. right there, fucking alarm bells. Sorry, Tim, for every Manchester United fan. I think Sofiane uh, Amrabat is... Uh, I think Amrabat is a really solid addition to this group of players. It's okay. I think he fits a role in this squad that gives them a bit of bite, right? A little bit more control, good pass through the ball, can, fu- can kind of weave in and weave out of different tactical shapes and identities. Hmm. But... <sighs> I don't <laughs> look at this no, mental because, pretzel. You're winding yourself up now. You hadn't spoken about this, had you, for a couple of days, and now no, you're because, speaking about it. You're winding no, because the reality, Rennie, I turned the game off after Foden scored in the 80th minute. Hmm. So it's a waste of time. Sorry, Tim. I'm really on one today. It was a waste of time. Yeah. I mean, I, you know. But as, did you expect anything else, though? I mean, look, it's frustrating, but we're all frustrated when we lose to Manchester no. City. It's were your expectations higher than that? Because it, it wasn't, I can see why you'd be annoyed by the Palace game or even the Brentford game, even though they won it. But this is yeah. this game just sort of no, went of, of how course. you'd imagine, no? Of of course. Listen, I know. Even I was messing around. I said two one. I went ultra homer. I was like, if there's ever a game after the fact that Harry Maguire scores and and Onana saves that penalty in the 90th plus six, like if there's ever like a catalyst moment heading into. Old Trafford against Manchester City, like there couldn't have been a better feel-good scenario heading into the match. But then all of a sudden, the interview, you're like, oh, here we go. Mm-hmm. And, and again, Manchester City and the way they have built themselves up, take away all the accusations, take away all the money, take away all the the the, the ownership conversation, just as a club, the way that they have, have continued to evolve as a group, as a group of players, and the depth of roster that they have, with that manager, Pep Guardiola, there's a reason why we're looking at and why we will always look back at this phase of five years and say, oh my God, what a team. 
Hmm. Look at what they've won. Look at what they've accomplished. Look at the level of consistency. Very few hiccups. So, of course, I felt like Manchester City was going to be able to walk into Old Trafford, put on a performance that we expect of them, whether at home or on the road, and virtually walk away with three points. You're comparing apples to oranges. They're they're complete. It's still Manchester Derby. It's still Manchester United. It's still Man City. But right now, if you're being realistic, you're going to say Manchester City was odds-on favorites without a shadow of a doubt to go to yeah. Old Trafford and walk away with three points. But my problem is with all of this, and it's been a slow burn to this, you want a manager that makes players better. Hmm. Right now, we're not seeing it. Hmm. You want a manager that tactically sets your team up to win. I think in the first half, they were pretty competitive. But again, we can debate the penalty. We can debate. It, it, that's all debate. It does change but the game. I mean, he was right 100%, in that. It completely uh, changes the game. A, mi- a million percent changes the game. A one a million percent. At the same time, the onus is on the players to have some semblance of an ability to have control, speed it up, slow it down, variation of service, create chances, all of that. This is a completely vertical team. And we've been sold this idea that we are going to see a possession-based team with style and substance and identity and control and moving players through and possession and possession with purpose. And, and, And all it really is, is we've been sold Onana is one of these, these really aggressive proactive goalkeepers that's going to keep possession. Onana, it feels like, hits 80% of his balls diagonal into space. That's either for Hoyland to try to drop down, body off, and hold the ball up, or it's a 50-50 ball that ends up at a right or a left back. Over and over, over. Rinse and repeat. The idea of building through the midfield, it literally goes in the midfield, it comes back to Johnny Evans. It goes in the midfield, it comes back to Maguire. It goes back to Onana, goes back to the midfield, comes back to him, he hits a long ball. It's a vertical team. And then, without the ball, they're just chasing shadows. It mm. feel, And it, it doesn't matter if we're talking about Brighton. It doesn't matter if we're talking about Brentford. It doesn't matter if we're talking about Crystal Palace. I, I keep saying, I just want to see control. And every time, and I know I know you busted my balls about this over and over and over because it's kind of the holier than thou, you got to earn the right to play. But I don't expect when I watch Manchester United to be chasing the ball and chasing shadows over and over and over and becoming so fatigued without the ball that once they finally win the ball against the Crystal Palace, all they can do is hit a long ball up over the top and pray to God that Marcus Rashford can beat three to four players and break something down to get a chance. So you talk about, we can talk about captain's band. We can talk about expectancy of goals. We can talk about leadership. We can talk about young dynamic players that are capable of taking the group to a different level. We can talk about the drama off the field. We can talk about the tactics and, and the tac- Ten Hag making the switch to bring on Mason Mount, take Amrabat off, drop Christian Eriksen a little bit deep. We can talk about all of these things. But again, I think every fan has this idea of visual markers when they're looking at their team play and saying, oh, that's that's our way. You know, insert name here. That's yeah. the Arsenal way. That's the Tottenham, Tottenham way. Doing it. It's been a few weeks. City obviously not... do it. Even Everton and West Ham do it. You can he's tell. Had 18... you know... So, yeah. so we're, we're getting to the point where he's had 18 months. Is there anything that visually suggests that the tactics and the shape and the application and the execution of whatever he's trying to accomplish are they getting first off is it there are mm. they getting better week in week out inevitably you're going to have hiccups and number 3 like results results matter so 
Again, that's in it's, February as well, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's city. Everything yeah, up it's, to February was good, but there, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of markers. The meltdown. Yeah, but, but and 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 again, it's the same thing where none. We can talk about all this other stuff. You know, we can talk about the Glazers. We can talk about Sir Jim Ratcliffe. We can talk about uh, what's his name, Dave Brailsford, and director of sport at Nice and the Dave cycling Brailsford, guys. the king of cycling. I think you'll yeah. find. You know, yeah, you'll. I mean, Chris Froome and Bradley, Sir Bradley Wiggins, uh, coach for Team GB Cycling. So, is Paul Mitchell the guy? Like, what's next? Uh, oh, every, Richard Arnold's going to be scared because what's his role going to be? Everybody's going to be nervous behind the scenes. Like, should be. <laughs> Do a better job. Listen, let, let me just oh. let me let me point you in a direction for one final question on this because it's a bit more broad. Uh, because I think you covered a lot of good ground there, and I can't really build on it. Um, the attitude question. This is mm. something you and I spoke about after Liverpool last year when Bruno Fernandez was was such a petulant child at the back end of that game, yeah. and we saw Roy Keane over here. You would have seen it online, I'm sure, on Sky Sports talking about he shouldn't give the captaincy to Bruno Fernandez. Now, I have time for Roy Keane when he says things like that. Because, look, you're not going to get deep analysis from Roy Keane, but what you are going to get is someone who knew what it was like to be a captain and had a, a feel for what it was like to be a captain. And I don't necessarily want to hear him talking about deep tactics. I want to hear him talking about mentality, right? And I thought that was worth talking about for a few minutes because some of the attitude after the third from these Man United players. Now, I absolutely understand that People don't like losing. No one likes losing. Certainly not top-level athletes who don't expect to lose, right? So I get that. But some of the attitude which actually led to the third goal, the lack of pressing on Rodri, the lack of effort to get to the second ball, the lack of effort to get to the third ball, later in the game, the smashing of the arm of Doku from Anthony and his whole hmm. petulant, childish two-year-old performance from when he came on, the shaking of his head when Hoyland uh, came off because he thought he should have come on and all that... All of it. What do you make to that petulance? Is that a problem? Or is it something that you would just expect? Because it feels like at Man United, when they lose, they all revert to almost like lizard brain. And there's a lack of professionalism. Well, and maybe a captain could lead by example? So, I know I know we'll talk about Everton, and I know we'll talk about West Ham at some point, but James Tarkowski, like, there's... There's a leadership element where he's moving guys around. He's screaming and holding people accountable, but he's not effing them off, right? It's like, it's the intensity. It's the focus. He's grabbing guys and no, you mark this guy. No, come on tight. Like, you know, like that, that's what I grew up with, right? So that's how, that's how I did. I identify leadership. If you, if you get dug into or someone digs into you, if you do it the right way, you can say anything to anybody. If you say it the right way. And they, and you, there's a respect there as well. A hundred percent. So, yeah. Um, okay, listen, if Cashmere is on the field, he's going to talk, but he's going to do more of his leadership with his play, right? Mm -hmm. It's going to be the physical play. Lissandro Martinez, he's one of those guys you absolutely despise if he's an opponent, but you love if he's yours. So that he's going to be a leader and a, a somewhat vocal leader, but he's going to be hard. When you look at the rest of the team, my question is, who are the leaders by voice? Who are the leaders by presence? And then who are the leaders because they're just really fucking good footballers? Sorry, Tim. Because Man United has a lot of really good footballers. When you break it down to its core, a lot of really good football. But the other problem in this is when you, when you suggest so much change, there becomes a leadership vacuum and a power vacuum. 
And so when you're talking about guys like Pogba and guys like Cristiano Ronaldo versus guys like Harry Maguire and say a Rafael Varane and like the, the cult of personality is very, very different. So a voice and a loud voice and a petulant voice and a, and a very demonstrative arm throwing voice becomes Bruno Fernandez. Bruno's an incredible player. He's an mm. incredible player. When you break it all down, you get away from all the pomp and circumstance. He's an incredible player. But when throwing your arms around, you become targeted very quickly, right? Because of the petulance. It doesn't look good. So the question for Manchester United is, who is your leader? Who is your leader? When, when the chips are down and you've got the manager growling on the sideline, jutting his jaw out because he's just disgusted and frustrated with what he's saying, who's the guy that has a semblance of accountability with a little bit of Roddy Raw and ultimately the the respect of everyone else to say, let's f***ing go. Sorry, Tim, cursing a lot today. That's like 20, I think. That's so it's many. at least 35. That's so many. But that that's what they're missing. I, I'm so, it's not it's not it's not what they're missing. It's what they're lacking right now. Yeah. And right now they need somebody within that group to step up to show physically that presence that is leadership to grab everyone else around him to not just bitch and moan because right now there's going to be distrust from the coaching staff for certain players. There's going to be it gets start to be that thing like why is he playing why does he get to start in front of me why am i not the substitute used i can't believe he's doing this again we all know he's not good enough to play that position these tactics suck they're not good enough when that starts to creep in hmm. the noise and the little leaks and the little conversations and the stories and the tweets they all start to get bigger and bigger and bigger hmm. i think eric ten hogg's a good manager I think he's won a trophy. He's gotten to another final. He qualified them for top four finish to get them in the Champions League. But with all that growth comes expectation. And right now, the level of expectation versus the level of reality, there's a significant gap for Manchester United fans. I do want to move on, but I do want to ask you one final question, actually, because of, uh, of your final point there. Um, because we were chatting to Sam Lee from The Athletic today, and I thought it was really interesting him talking about it. He was there at the game. Um and his point was something that we've spoken about a few times. I actually think Ten Hag might be toast. I think that this might have gone too deep and the narrative might have become too strong mm. of this kind of personalityless kind of ball David Moyes type being in charge. And I wonder whether, fe I mean, February to November is a long time to be poor. And that list of signings that he has made or endorsed and he gets the veto on them, you know, this year it's Mason Mount and Rasmus Hoyland and... Away from Lissandra Martinez, how many success stories are we looking at from his signings? And I just wonder, is there any possibility that you can see Man United not finishing this season with Eric Ten Hag as manager? Easily. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, I guess if you're an Ajax fan, there's a there's there's a good position available for him should he be sacked. I mean, I this ball is hurtling in the wrong direction right now. And and that's the challenge for Eric Ten Hag. And so we're going to find out what he's truly capable of because the reality is Ajax is a massive club, but this is Manchester United. It's a completely different challenge, a completely different league. I agree with him 100% that says Manchester United will never play like Ajax. It, they, they won't because the competition and the value of the league is much greater than what is in the Eredivisie. That's reality. So there's there's a lot of an honest assessment there, but that's not what Man United fans want to hear. 
They don't want to hear that we can't be Ajax. We're Manchester United. That's the mentality. So again, the visual markers, control, possession, variation of service, scoring goals at a high rate, a high clip, defensively sound, stuck in, keeping the game in front of them. Great saves by a goalkeeper. That's what it, but right now, it's about fine margins. And the fine margins aren't punishing the mistakes of the opponent and finding the back of the net, are defensively not minimizing the havoc that's being created by your opponent, chasing the ball all over the place, giving up goals. Um, the ideology and the and the constant conversation about David De Gea couldn't play this role because, and then Onana's the right guy because this uh, how 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 is the team suffering so many injuries? I mean, there there's continue like we talk about the team performance, we talk about the coaching staff, we can talk about the trainers, we can talk about the injuries and and the, and the trainings, we can talk about. All the backside with the Glazers, the Glazers out, Sir Jim Ratcliffe. It goes on and on. We can talk about the training facility. We can talk about Old Trafford. Mm. All of these things, at the end of the day, that's a lot of noise, right? It's a lot of noise. But for me, the only thing that you can control as athletes, as players, is when you step on the field. Yeah. And right now, they're falling short of expectation, as is the manager. Um, I want to move on, and there's some interesting discussion points I want to have, but there's nowhere else I can talk about this, so I'm going to do a minute on West Ham here. Mm. Because, I, I mean, I didn't watch the game live, thankfully. I was stuck in that garage in Portsmouth. But just a quick one on West Ham Everton. It's one winning six now for West Ham. And, um, well, firstly, actually, I want to say I love Dominic Calvert-Lewin. We've, we've spoken about him before. I think we spoke about him last week. It was annoying to see him score against West Ham, but... Um, I just think if he can stay fit, I think he's got everything in his game. The ball control, the turn of pace. It's a great goal from an attacking perspective this weekend to shrug off two defenders and four around him, find the bottom corner. Uh, delighted to see him fit. 50th Premier League goal. If he can stay fit, it might not be utter bloody misery for Everton all season. So on that particular individual score, uh, I'm, I'm quite pleased about that. Um, but in terms of West Ham, just a quick one on them because... I don't understand why they're playing such fearful football. And it frustrates mm. me a little bit because against Everton, look, it's a Sean Dyche team. They had the lead. It's very frustrating. I get that. But when you've got Mohamed Kudus and Jared Bowen and Lucas Paqueta and even uh, Mikel Antonio, as he is now, and James Ward-Prowse and Thomas Socek and Vladimir Sufau and, you know, players who have got pedigree, creating chances, scoring goals, doing all this in the Premier League. The really fearful, almost relegation football West Ham have played in the last few weeks has been difficult to watch. And there was a point in this game, as there was against Newcastle a couple of weeks ago, where Lucas Paqueta was the striker. And not only was he the striker, he was being asked to do flick-ons. Hmm. Like Lucas Paqueta, Brazil's number eight, was being asked to ball high to him, flick it down for Bowen or Caduce or Benrahma or whoever he was playing with at the time. And I was just sort of watching it. And there's been a lot of these performances over the years with David Moyes in charge, especially after a European game. He's got another European campaign. I get the caveats and I'm still very much, you know, I think David Moyes deserves this entire season. I'm on board. But I'm just watching it thinking 902 games as a manager and he's going into a game against the team we should be beating at home with this incredible mm. array of attacking talent. Fearful and... I don't know, Danny. I mean, I know you wouldn't watch this game in full, but you, you watch a lot of West Ham just to piss me off. Um, what, what what do you make to, to West Ham in the last few well, games? One win, which was against uh, Sheffield United, I think. Yeah. And against Everton, they, they couldn't create, and I couldn't get it. I don't get it. So it's interesting because we've been having this conversation now about your number nine position without Mikel Antonio in the starting eleven. 
and or within the match at some point. And we're what talking three different players have been brought in to maybe yeah. ease the workload of Mikel Antonio over the years. Allaire, then our friends Kamaka, and now yeah. maybe the worst signing of the entire group, maybe one of the worst signings in Premier League history, Danny Ings. So you've brought in guys, but you haven't given them a run. I would equate it to a very similar situation that Tottenham had with Harry Kane and how many players they had to bring in that were quality enough of level to be able to step in the to the team when given the opportunity and perform, but not necessarily outperform who is clearly the true number nine for the team. So you've gone so I, I do think you have a, a competition factor that's in this narrative. But I would also suggest that the expectation is so high right now because you guys won Conference League and because you've qualified for Europa League that just suggesting the mere fact that you've qualified for Conference League two seasons ago, that last year you ended up in, what, 14th place? Mm-hmm. There was serious... A year a year ago, a year ago, we were starting to wrap up the season to prepare for the World Cup. The amount of times that you and I were on SiriusXM FC Channel 157 talking about, is this the window? Mm. Is this the time? Should and you kept saying, "I'd be okay with it, but just bring in someone better." Mm. And because we were watching all of these managers get the sack and this kind of weird timeline, I guess no timeline of we're on the job, we're gonna find the right manager. But they had pulled the trigger and no one was available. And so David Moyes, he gets the chance, he gets a little bit of momentum. He's really struggling in Premier League to reach the heights of the previous year, but you win Conference League. So now you've won Europa League. You've got a little bit more. You've got the Declan Rice money. I think you've done a great job with the three, with Prowse, with James Ward-Prowse, with Edson Alvarez, with Kudis coming in. I think those are really good additions to your team. Very different than an individual, but the collective, very, I thought, money well, well spent. Mm. Stronger competition in Europa League. Still seeing the same issues that they had last year in Premier League. And again, my question for you, and it's been there since last year, is the depth of roster, and I would have this conversation about Aston Villa, with Brighton, uh, with Newcastle United, is the depth of roster strong enough to compete on multiple fronts? And that's going to be the challenge for this group. I mean, yeah, look, it's going to be difficult, but I think that West Ham's squad is on par with anything Aston Villa have got. It's certainly on par player for player with anything that Brighton have got. I think there's some really, really good players in there, and yet there's just an element of this team where you think, they clearly, you know, we spoke to Roy Hodgson at one point in the past. And, you know, what do they work on? They work on shape, 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 shape without the ball, defensive shape. How do we play? And at some point, that can't be 90% of what you're doing. It goes to some comments that Mark Warburton made when he left the club in the summer that he wanted to do other things. And, I, you know, what the truth of it is, David Moyes won a trophy and whatnot. So he, he gets the, the decision on, on how they play. But at some point, you've got to have a plan for what you do with the ball. And they don't seem to have one. That's why they lose games like that. Um, look, I want to move on to the, the Ballon d'Or. Because I've Wait, got a re, re, really quick Sorry, time out. Re, really quick, and I apologize for for cutting you off. How wild is it? How wild is it that we've gone thirty five minutes in this show, and we've probably gone the last ten episodes of Week in the Tackle mm. with barely a reference to what's happening at Chelsea Football Club. <laughs> There's nothing to say. There's nothing to say, is there? I, I can't add anything. It's inexplicable. Like yeah. 
Think about how crazy that is. There's zero level of expectation for Chelsea Football Club right now that there is no conversation. There's no public conversation whatsoever at a, at a, at a reasonable expectation level of what yeah. is happening with Mauricio Pochettino and this group of players. Well, you know what? It's really interesting you should say that. Um, and the reason I'm keeping my powder dry on it a little bit here is because next Monday night, mm. Tottenham-Chelsea, Pochettino mm -hmm. against uh, Tottenham, and if that game goes as the form book suggests, Tottenham will be back top of the Premier League table and Chelsea could be as low as 16th. So maybe at that point, after a quarter of the season, it could be really interesting. Or it could be what it looked like before Brentford that Pochettino has got, a, you know, Simon Jordan said this week, he expects them to be Premier League champions in the next three to five years. Um, yeah. Okay. I mean, he, you know, he also didn't think he'd go bankrupt to Crystal Palace, I guess. Oh, he didn't go bankrupt. All right, don't have a go at me, Simon. They're just... Just what the law said. Uh, right, so we'll do it next week, I think. I think that's really okay. interesting. But Ballon d'Or, I just wanted to get your opinion on it because, yeah. obviously, an MLS player, um, Lee something, uh, won it. No, Lionel Messi uh, won the, the Ballon d'Or again. You. And How dare you? I don't, I don't want to have a conversation about whether he is particularly deserving or not, right, or, or whatever. I kind of want to ask you a question about what the point of the Ballon d'Or is. Because, so the Ballon d'Or is essentially voted on by a hundred journalists from around world football and they get a vote. Henry Winter got a vote, for example, in the Times. Um, and they get a vote on who they think the best player was in the last year. Uh, and then it goes to a kind of ranking system and they list out who the best players are in order from their votes and someone gets it. Lionel Messi has run this eight times. Now, the reason I ask this is because I think people outside of England certainly are obsessed with it in Spain and in Germany and in France. They love it. Certainly in France, obviously they love it, uh, France Football Magazine. But in general, in England, it's not a particularly vaunted trophy. It isn't something before this particular era we spoke about a great deal. Mm. It got merged with the best for a while, uh, which is FIFA's little thing, uh, and now it's not. So we have the best, and then we have the Ballon d'Or. Now, if the Ballon d'Or is an award for the best player in the last 12 months in world football, Lionel Messi is not the winner. Now, he had a great World Cup, right? And, I'm, you know, you can disagree with that. It's absolutely fine. But he had a great World Cup. They won the World Cup. If they didn't win the World Cup, would he have won the Ballon d'Or? Probably not. The fact they won the World Cup is the big difference maker for a 100%. lot of these people that have done it. I would right? agree. 100%. And that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. And that's absolutely fine. But, objectively, Lionel Messi was not the best footballer in the world across that 12 months. He achieved something at the end of an incredible career that makes it, more than noteworthy and worth marking. And again, that's absolutely fine. If you want Lionel Messi, as a journalist, to be the Ballon d'Or winner this year because it's the last time you're going to be able to do it and he won the World Cup and that felt like a 20-year odyssey to do it and all of that, that's absolutely fine. But that is not what I thought the Ballon d'Or was. The Ballon d'Or is supposed to be the best player of the last 12 months. And if the argument is about winning trophies... Well, Erling Haaland, who is a close competitor for it, he came second in the list. He won the European Cup. He won the Premier League. He won the top-scoring player in the Premier League that year. And he couldn't compete in the World Cup because he plays for Norway, who didn't qualify. Yeah. For me, Rodri's the best player in European football in the last 12 months. Scored the winning goal in a Champions League final. Uh, runs Pep Guardiola's Manchester City, also won the Premier League. I think is the elite player in world football right now. But that's just my opinion. Hmm. But I think that... Reading Henry Winter's piece, for example, in um, the Times on Tuesday, quote, this may be the last time to celebrate Lionel Messi as the greatest player at work in the world, 
but there's no nostalgia involved. No clinging to flickering romance. Messi fully deserved the Ballon d'Or presented to him by Drogba on Monday night. Then he goes on to talk about the World Cup, and he goes on to talk about, really, to be fair, Alexis McAllister and Enzo Fernandez and Emi Martinez might have been more important to the team overall or as important. So contradicting his initial sentence, saying that, you know, it's not nostalgia. It is nostalgia. And again, that's fine. But to me, the Ballon d'Or has never really meant anything. Because so many people give it to Lionel Messi because, of course, he is the god of football. And that's great. Hmm. But what's the point of it? Like, what is the point of it, barring getting Lionel Messi to go to an award ceremony and saying you've got to touch his silken robes as he will hmm. pass one final time? And doesn't it kind of take away the, the nature of it for those other players? Or like the Lewandowski one a couple of years ago. But I can't win it because everyone wanted Messi to win it. But hmm. he wasn't the best player that year. So what's the point? Well, I mean, I we, we, we have a track record of rewarding players that have won the World Cup, but usually it's paired up with some type of either super long run in the Champions League or a Champions League title. You go back to Luka Modric, and, and there's an argument to be made that Luka Modric absolutely deserved his. And at the same time, there's an argument to be made that Luka Modric is a fantastic player, but had Croatia not performed the way they did in the World Cup, Luka Modric would have been on the shortlist, but most certainly wouldn't have won it. So we have two players on the completely different side of the pendulum in terms of their career, right? When you're talking about Erling Holland and you're talking about Lionel Messi. Erling Holland was a monster performer. And I know people will dig into his stats versus top six sides or lack of goals and big games and Champions League matches. And they'll they'll, they'll, they'll be an arc and a narrative of like, well, look at he was completely anonymous. Guy still scored some incredible goals. He was an untouchable machine last year. And City as a unit was extraordinary. And you could talk about Rodri, you could talk about Kevin De Bruyne in that conversation as well. Three incredibly high performers for Pep Guardiola's Man City. And at the same time, the arc and the narrative surrounding Messi wasn't about this Belanda or. The last 12 months were about him and the legacy compared to Diego Maradona. That's what it really comes down to. And that's what we all we all kind of always heard. Well, who was better? Who was better? Diego Maradona or Lionel Messi? Well, Lionel Messi hasn't won anything. And when Argentina, he just collapses. Well, you think about the couple of finals in the Copa America. Uh, you think about a couple of different uh, winning the Copa America 18 months ago and then lifting a World Cup trophy. So the ghost of Maradona is no longer hanging over him. These two are are hugs, if you will. They're equitable in a lot of ways. Um, and then, you know, you, you talk about the human side and the comparison contrast, whatever the morality of, of what we try to do. Statistically, Lionel Messi had a really good year at PSG. I think okay. it was like, Done okay. I mean, again, we're, we're comparing the strength of the league, but I think he came in somewhere around 24 goals, 25 assists, somewhere in there. Hmm. But those are numbers that we come to expect for Lionel Messi. But we usually expect those numbers to be associated with Barcelona, right? And lifting a La Liga trophy and making a, a really long run in, in, in the Champions League. So what we're effectively doing, or people are saying, hold on a second, PSG wasn't good enough. PSG is PSG. And of course, they're going to win. But the reality is PSG has to win a Champions League. So we're downplaying statistically what he's done in Liga. And we're saying, well, that's not comparable to Erling Holland. So I get that. I, I do. I do agree with you. It's nostalgia. And the moment that he won the World Cup, uh, I remember saying to you, it doesn't matter what anyone else does. The Belanda Or is going to go to him. 
Doesn't mm-hmm. matter where he's playing next year. Doesn't matter who he's representing, the colors of his jerseys. I mean, for us in MLS, it's a fantastic uh, spotlight that's being shown on the league because he's a part of Inter Miami now. So, again, we're screaming at the moon, we're howling yeah. at each other, and we're trying to justify why he doesn't deserve it. The reality is he'll go down arguably as the best player of all time when it's all said and done based on this generation and what they've been able to see in real life. He's a special, special player, but I agree with you. There's been so many different snubs over the years where guys that we say should have won the Ballon d'Or never have an opportunity, or maybe they do at some point later in their career. But I mean, we're, we're, I think we're, we're splitting hairs when we're talking about ultimately you break down the process, you break down the voting process. I think I agree with you. There's going to be a ton of nostalgia. Did he deserve it? I think he does, but I also think there was a couple arguments to be made of other players that most certainly deserved their first Palanda or as well. And again, I don't care about this much, right? But it annoys me how much attention it gets considering how little I care about it. I think that's what gets to me about it. And they need to decide what it is. And if it's an award for the best player of the last year, and maybe that's what it will become soon, it could be quite interesting to see what people think. If they're just going to do it because Lionel Messi is the greatest player ever to play football, again, well, that is fine, but don't bill it to me as the best player of the last year. Look, we've got to but, move on. I think but, gonna... re- but really quick, if you just watch, sorry, if you just watch the ceremony itself, I mean, what are we doing here? It's yeah. it's just turning into a Twitch YouTuber. Extra- yeah. to, your, to, your, to your That speed oh my, guy. Look oh at my the God. turn. Uh, you know, he's oh. got a b- balls, mate. All yeah. that. That's that's what it's turned into. Who was that? Was that Crocodile Dundee? That was your buddies when you were at the Chelsea game. Up in oh, the, uh, my YouTube channel. Yeah. Um, weird segue, but let's do a little bit on the Saudi Arabia uh, World Cup, which is happening in 2034. Australia have pulled out of their bid to host the tournament. Uh, and so it's more than likely to go to Saudi Arabia. And I, I do want to say a little bit on this, Danny. I, I, you know, I'd love your view on it, but... Uh, I'll give mine first, if you don't mind, because I just, I hate this. i got to tell you, I absolutely hate this. Um, Saudi Arabia is a country, we've had lots of discussions about them, and the way the country is run from, if you go to Human Rights Watch uh, and Amnesty International, we can talk about... Um, the lack of freedom of expression, the lack of expression of belief. We can talk about the the lack of women's rights. And, oh, they've got a little bit better recently. Women can now get a passport. Are you kidding me? Uh, and, you know, they're still very much controlled by a guardian who has to be a male. Uh, there is no uh, law at all about homosexuality and LGBTQ rights. There are none. It doesn't exist in the country in terms of the law there. No gender identity. Migrant workers are treated appallingly. Um, the, the, the way that there are X amount of people executed by the regime for what we would consider to be minor offences. You know, I could go on and on and on about it. Taken from Amnesty and Human Rights Watch. There are so many issues for me personally about Saudi Arabia. And I don't need everyone to agree with me, right? I don't need footballers who go there to play to agree with me on that. Um, if you want to go and you're fine with the way the country is, and that's fine. You know, we haven't got to be the same person here. The issue for me is FIFA in this particular discussion because a country can run itself however it wants. And I think there is a long, long track record of one country telling another country how to govern itself, and it doesn't particularly end well. There Mm. are ways to soft power better rights for people. I don't think you can force 
Saudi Arabia to be what I would consider to be a better country. But FIFA, this organization, this morally bankrupt, corrupt organization, they have what they call uh, a kind of human rights policy, right? They have a human rights policy. It came in in 2017. Uh, and in that human rights policy, I'll just read you a little bit of this because it's, it's mind-blowing, right? It's Article 7 of their human rights policy. Quote, um, the organization cited Article 7, which highlights where the national context risks undermining FIFA's ability to ensure respect for internationally recognized human rights. FIFA will constructively engage with the relevant authorities and other stakeholders and make every effort to uphold its international human rights responsibilities. Now, that essentially means... If two nations are bidding for the World Cup, one has a diabolical human rights record, according to organisations like Human Rights Watch, and the other one's Australia. If that discussion then comes to a vote, it has to be considered. And we would hopefully then see a FIFA board and exec committee say, hold on, we've got this 27 human rights policy here. Saudi Arabia clearly doesn't meet the levels that we require. Australia does. So it discounts them. Australia pulled out now. There is no competition. So there's going to be no reason for them to say, oh, we can't give it to Saudi Arabia. It doesn't meet our 2017 human rights policy because there's no other bidder. So mm -hmm. we're now not going to have a discussion because there's no other bidder about whether that is an acceptable country to host a World Cup from a FIFA organization who is meant to be like, Football is for everyone. We want more gay players. Infantino says, I am black, I am tall, I am Muslim. Whatever that stupid speech was he did in Qatar where he said we embody everything and everyone, which was complete f***ing garbage. Sorry, Tim. Obviously, this hideous man who runs this organization, this morally bankrupt organization. But we don't have that conversation now, Danny, because it's a procession. 11 mm. years from now, Saudi Arabia got this World Cup and suck it up, buttercup. There's literally nothing any of us can do about it. And it just speaks to me. And again, I'm not trying to be critical here of Saudi Arabia. I, I am critical. I don't like what I know of the country. I don't like it. And I think women should have rights. What can I tell you? A lot bloody more rights than what seem to be there. But again, that is their decision. And it's not something I want to get wildly involved in on this particular platform. But FIFA tell us who they are and who they project who they are. And then they give Saudi Arabia the World Cup. And Dunny, it just... It's unacceptable to me that they are just allowed to do this. Hmm. And we've got to suck it up with another Winter World Cup in a country whose human rights record is at best questionable um, and doesn't in any way seem to fit with the principles that FIFA are supposed to have. You could look back at Russia. You could look back at Qatar and the manner in which it was handed to both of those countries. You could look forward to the start of the stupidity of having the ability to circumvent South America hosting a World Cup by giving it one or two games and then shifting it back to Morocco, Portugal, and Spain. Um, the continued evolution and investment from Saudi Arabia into football and international football and the insane amount of money that was spent this last summer. And it should have been an indicator to all of us where this was directed and where this was heading. So I'm not surprised at all. Um, I'm, I'm, I always use the word intrigued um, because that's the closest word I can figure out how to use because I'm not smart enough uh, to see what this all looks like over the next couple of years. Um, because now you've really, by allowing Saudi Arabia to have this World Cup, giving them this World Cup, 
I'm, I am intrigued to see what this looks like with how the continued, we, we said investment, right? Investment Mm -hmm. in the game, what this is really going to look like for not only domestic football, but for international football. I'm, I'm very inquisitive to see how this is going to be laid out publicly and privately with the amount of money that is going to be put into the game, both domestically and internationally, because now all bets are off. Yeah. All bets are off. So we'll see where it goes. Hopefully, hopefully this is whatever the watchdog or over the, the oversight committees or whoever's kind of in charge, hopefully, has a a good handle on the responsibility and the job that's ahead of them when trying to make sure that this is executed wrong use of words mm. uh that you know th- this this whole project is executed as above board as humanly possible in this situation so i i guess shrug the shoulders and we'll see that's i mean that's the issue is that all we can do is shrug is shrug our shoulders and you know mm. We've had the discussion before about the, the the Saudi League, and if the Saudis want to invest a bunch of money in the Saudi League and bring European players yeah, over, great. more power to them. You know, yeah. I have a lot of issues with the country um, and the way the, the the country is run. Personally, I, I wouldn't want to live there, but if you want to go and take the money, more power to you. But I just feel like, A, never virtue signal to me again, Mr. Henderson. Never tell me how to feel about things and, you know, don't talk to me about how you feel about women's rights and gay rights and things, you know, button it from now on. You do that, take the money and disappear. Great. Have a nice house. Have a nice life. But FIFA aren't that. FIFA, next round of FIFA games, what are we, two weeks away? Just note down the amount of times you will see a banner about peace and tranquility and, you know, we all can all hug and whatnot and there'll probably be some sanctioned silences for the the nightmare scenario in gaza and what's happening in ukraine all this sort of stuff they'll do that and then remember at the same time um they've just given saudi arabia the world cup and just just try and square that circle if you can because it pisses me off um danny one final question i've got to apologize to you here because i just i was so busy this weekend i got across the premier league uh, as i'm contractually obliged to do i just couldn't watch any of mls and we'll do a lot on this next week uh, all i, I watched just- I know, yeah, I know you're in Seattle doing yeah. the, the victory over Dallas and all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah. I am super interested in the, in, the, in the MLS Cup playoff, so I'm a bit annoyed about it. I've just not had the time. Uh, what have I missed and what should I be looking forward to next week? Where have you been? Bring me up to speed. Yeah, I actually got a call Friday night. I was out of Corn Bellies with the family, and uh, I got a call uh, from a boss, Kristen, said, hey, um, any chance you could make it to LA tomorrow? Because Mo Adu and his partner were about to go into labor. And oh. so I ended up getting on the plane the next morning, um, and I headed down to LA. I worked the game with Keith Costigan. We did LAFC against the Vancouver Whitecaps. Uh, fantastic win for LAFC. Vancouver tried first half really tight, but they ended up giving up four set piece goals on the road at LA, something that's somewhat crit- uh, criminal defensively. Um, here's the storylines. So we'll start in the bracket on the left. St. Louis City SC. That's now three consecutive losses where they've given up, I think, nine goals, something, something, maybe eight, nine, 10 goals, something like that in their last three matches. They lose 4-1 at home to Sporting Kansas City. So that rivalry, St. Louis, Sporting Kansas City, um, that is a huge win for Peter Vermees and company. They're going like this. Bradley Carnell's team kind of going like this. Mm. Houston against Real Salt Lake, really close affair. Houston Dynamo get the first goal. Real Salt Lake levels. Diego Luna, Moon Boy, uh, fantastic goal for him, but they give up a goal. Uh, Amin Bossy, I believe around the 80th minute. So Houston wins their first leg. 
Seattle game I did last night. Fantastic environment up at Lumen Field. Great header, a penalty uh, for Albert Rusnak, a header from Jordan Morris. They win 2-0 against Nico Estevez's FC Dallas. Flip over to the other side, Cincinnati full control. Full control against the New York Red Bulls. Easy performance for them. Come through unscathed. Bit of drama between Philadelphia Union and the New England Revolution. There's some news that's come out. There's some accusations about a player and a couple of words that were used against another player. Going to be intrigued to see how that all plays out. If you're looking for it, you'll find it. I'm not interested in naming names right now, but Philly win 3-1 against the Revs. And then Orlando City, Nashville. Sam Surge had a great opportunity to pull one back for Nashville and, and give them an opportunity on the road. But Orlando City wins at home. Tight, highly contested affair. Um, and then as of Tuesday night, we're waiting for Wednesday, Columbus crew at home against Atlanta United. That'll wrap up match one in the best of three series right now. Um, but I'm here for it. Remember, straight to penalties after 90 minutes. You got to win two of the three games. Each team gets a home game, so there's a bit of a reward for making the playoffs. So the fans get to watch their team at home. Owners get a little bit of money. It, think, raises the stakes, makes it a little bit more difficult. But at the same time, because there's no aggregate scoreline, if you're chasing a game, you can actually go for it. You can actually make some attack-minded subs and get back into the game. Um, I'm here for it. MLS After Dark, it's my favorite stage of the season. It's cold. The smell in the air is different. The leaves are falling. That's when you know it's playoff time in Major League Soccer. So, so far, match one or match day one, however we're referring to it in this best of of three, right? One of three. So, so far, really, really exciting. Something that you had all the naysayers out there. I think it's been really fun to watch. I'm super excited about what it looks like. Um, But yeah, the next potential two weeks, we're... I think we're we've already seen one upset. Are we going to see with Sporting Kansas City winning in St. Louis? Is there an opportunity for a little bit more drama as these teams that have lost now come home for this second match? And most excitingly, uh, you don't need to find a friend who works at Apple uh, to watch these games. And as you can see, if you're watching on YouTube, I'm ready already hey. with my Apple TV app on my phone uh, for Columbus against Atlanta. It is 11:30 p.m. UK time on Wednesday, so I might you can do it. Might not make the end, but I'll try my best. Just I'll grab try a whisky. My best. Little whisk. How, how will that help me? How's that going to help me? It'll help. Your tweet game will be strong <laughs> if, you had, if you had a whiskey. <laughs> That's probably true. Yeah. I might. Should I send this? Should I send this? Ah, f*** it. Sorry, Tim. Screw you, nonce. What are you, David Moyes, you prick? Something like that. Uh, right. Sorry, Tim, if some of that needs to be deleted. Uh, that was this week's Week in the Tackle podcast. That is Brian Dunny Dunseth. I am Tom Rennie. Tim Horsey had the dubious pleasure of producing this program. We'll see you next week. <laughs>